I ended up in the ER with a 0.44 blood alcohol level. I still thought I was super sly, Mr. Sly. I'm Anthony. And I'm Tyson. We're Recovering Addicts. This is a podcast about journeys from the darkness of addiction to the sunlight of sobriety. Thank you for joining us on the Dismantled Life Podcast, Episode 3, with our friend Bavesh. Appreciate it. I appreciate being on the uh, podcast, and thank you guys for hearing my story, and thank you guys for having me. Well, let's get right into it, Bavesh. I, your approach to sharing kind of the ugliness of your addiction, alcoholism, uh, was wonderful, man, and I, I really enjoyed your outlet, which was, was fascinating. So I'm really curious, though. Uh, maybe if you want to kind of kick things off with a little bit about who you are and you know what life was like before before the demons entered into the picture. Sure, thanks. I appreciate the intro. So I actually live in the East Bay, California. So specifically Hayward. Uh, I work as a motion designer. So uh, in, I was in and out of art school for a while, and then finally finished and made my career as a motion designer. Now working within the tech industry. So I work in San Francisco using public transportation. So. That's kind of my background, you know, through school, I, I met my wonderful wife, Barty. We ended up getting married right after we both finished school. Uh, we actually finished at the same time. So we ended up getting married and we have now started our life. And uh, she's a part of this big success story for me too. I mean, I'm still on a very, very, very long journey as you guys both probably agree. This is, a, this is something I'm gonna be battling with for the rest of my life. But just now I have a better and clear head to battle with. So. Uh, it kind of started like as most people, or I should say, I should speak for myself. It started with me in college. Uh, that's where my drinking really kind of like got introduced to me. Uh, as any college student, I thought I was drinking the norm, the next n- normal next to the next guy drinking next to me. But, you know, that kind of stayed through college. And then when I finished college and finished art school, uh, as I started my career, uh, I was introduced to like the more open drinking, uh, happy hour environments bars at work. I work in the tech industry. So the tech industry has a very open policy about like uh, happy hour and like the social life is always derived around alcohol or happy hour or going out to get a drink or let's catch up over a drink, you know, and that, and that kind of lifestyle really started to kind of hit me, especially as now I was working, I was making good money. Um, so I had the money to spend, you know, but in that time, I just was looking for that alcohol fix. So the alcoholism carried on as, you know, more life problems started to happen. As my alcoholism started to get stronger, I started to just drink more. You know, we started, we got married, me and my wife, we got married in a beautiful location in Mexico. And so I was planning the wedding, going through getting a full-time job as any normal human being would go through normal struggles. But for me, I used alcohol as an outlet to take away my stress, Uh, the work stress, the family stress, the day-to-day stress, whatever, good day, bad day, it didn't matter. Um, Alcohol was just, it was there. I was in and out of the ER rooms quite a bit, not quite a bit, I shouldn't say that, excuse me, twice actually, before the third time, which was the last straw. It was then, alcoholism was really over, took over pretty much every aspect of my life. It slowly started as it would with just like the smaller little teensy bottles and then the bigger bottle and then the pints and then lobby hall has started going before work and during work and I actually lost my job because of the alcoholism two years ago I was laid off because of my poor attendance uh, I was always calling in sick everybody that has alcohol problems or is fighting alcoholism can tell you how bad some of the withdrawal symptoms are sometimes and 
just the physical ability. I had to physically have alcohol in my system in order for me to function. And that was the sad part. I was taking part. I had it hidden in my jacket. It, it was a bad lifestyle. And I, I was just at that point ended up it, I, losing my job. Um, that's when the alcohol even got stronger. I ended up in the ER with a 0.44 blood alcohol level. And wow. uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, unfortunately, nothing to be proud of, but uh, yeah. Uh, and even at that. That's up there, man. I got to be honest with you, Bavesh. Like, that was higher than I was expecting to hear. So, Bavesh, I just got a curiosity. Like, I think that your story resonates with anyone that's battled or still battling with alcoholism, where it starts slow and it just grows into this unbelievable monster uh, i'm curious like in college and the transition see tyson and i both obviously we come from technology as well and i am i 100 get the openness of alcohol in the workplace and the happy hours and all that that is right over the plate for us and it's true for most people right you're always finding an excuse to drink uh, whether it's a happy excuse or a sad one for sure yes uh, just out of curiosity like in college like how much drinking are we talking about because i was a rampage marathon drinker, man. So I would, I would start on Thursday and I wouldn't stop until Sunday. I'd have, you know, I put little nap gaps in there, but that was about it. I was the same, uh, but in the college it was different. So like my first, uh, my first uh, bachelor's I did at SF State, and then I ended up doing a second bachelor's in art school just to refine more of my like craft. Uh, when I was at SF State, it was pretty much party every day. Uh, it was like high school, the classes. It was. <laughs> It, it was like, it was to the point where I could party literally all day and still, I was still nailing a 3.8 GPA, right? Wow. So I was, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary given I was in the creative field. So I was doing visual communications at SF State. And at that time, the school budget was really getting hit. So it was hard to get into classes in a semester system. So it was a fight between that. So it gave a lot of open time to hang out and to get, make friends and to like, go to frat parties and stuff like that. So in that time, SF State, yeah, dude, I was drinking Wednesday to Tuesday. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it yeah. was, a, it, but see that at that time, I was surrounded by it, male or female. It, it didn't matter. So I was, it was, everybody was at that level, whether it was weed, cocaine, drinking, it was evident everything was there. Whether you wanted to try it, it was you. It was you as a personality, what you gravitated towards, what you did. You know, a lot of my buddies did cocaine. That wasn't my thing. I don't like staying up until five in the morning, right? Like, <laughs> um, uh, and so like I gravitated towards alcohol and that was my thing. I never drank beer, never drank wine. I was this hard alcohol guy. Give me my vodka, give me my crown, give me my bourbon, give me my whiskey. At that point where it was like, I didn't really care. So for college, it I didn't really think of alcoholism because I didn't really know what binge drinking was at that point because I was just in party mode. Um, it was when I got to art school, I was a little older. I was about 30 when I started art school. It was then when like, I was still partying, but I could tell my body couldn't keep up with the guys that I was partying with at art school. So I took it, I toned it down a little bit, but even then, like, as I so then in art school, I took school a little more seriously and I started to re refine my craft a little more. So the alcohol really did, it cut down in art school. It was really like Friday, Saturday kind of party thing. Cause I was really into my grind at that time, but it was after art school when things kind of started escalating because I didn't have homework. I didn't need to be occupied in class for like 12 hours a day. And I was making money doing freelance work and work. So 
then it kind of picked up again. So I would say my alcohol kind of subsided in art school, but I was still partying. Don't get me wrong. Did you find that like, because I've noticed you've mentioned a few times and it resonates with me. Did you find that when you were making money or what you felt to be financially, you know, at least successful um, to some degree that you sort of would say you would almost justify the drinking like, hey, look, I'm I'm doing well. Like, come on. I deserve it. Uh, you yeah, just I earned it. For me. <laughs> it was, it was like that. It was like that self. Oh, I made myself something. I'm here. Like I earned mm. it. Like, yeah, I make good money and I worked hard to get to this good money. I earned this drink. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and I had that mentality long before I even needed to like defend my alcoholism. Like right. I have a very like uppity personality. I'm very like, I'm stern with how I feel and I'm very opinionated about my, <laughs> the way I feel. Sure. So that kind, that, kind, I, that kind of personality was always going to come out with me, especially with alcohol. Yeah, that's funny because I use that forever as sort of my blocker to not being able to overcome alcoholism was always like, hey, look, I got a good job, man. Yeah, I, I did the same. I would just justify my rampaging alcoholism and cocaine addiction with, look at how successful I am. I must be doing everything right. This alcohol and cocaine thing is nothing. This is what I should be doing. Because if I stop that, I'll obviously not be good at my job. Kind of bullshit, you know? <laughs> but the thing is, especially when it starts to become, like you have the ability to start climbing the career ladder, you know? And I started kind of low as a junior designer and kind of started working my way up. Once I started getting into more project management, um, I gave myself way more entitlement to drink because it was like, oh, now I manage people. Now I manage designers. My work is hella hard. I do all this. And it was just like it was stacking on excuses. As I started to build my career and started to advance as a person within the corporate world, the excuses started to pile on even more. So it was like, I couldn't get away from it. So it was like, even as successful as I wanted to become, as much money as I wanted to bring in, it was going to keep making my alcoholism even worse. I needed yeah. to find a better way. So Just self-fulfilling prophecy stuff. Like you keep yeah. stacking the bricks until they start getting top heavy and wobbly. And then you drink more to try to think in your mind you're stabilizing. It's all the same bullshit, man. And I, I agree with you, dude. The, the, the addict in me did exactly the same thing where you just start justifying your shit. Whatever that means, I'm having a bad, like you said earlier, I'm having a bad day, I'm having a good day. I have a lot of work to do. I've got to see up and, and you know, do all this research. So I'm going to drink a bottle of fucking whiskey, whatever <laughs> it is, man. I, I totally get it, man. And wh where did you start feeling like you were losing grip, man? Like when you started, you haven't hit rock bottom yet, but when did you start to feel like we're really hitting it hard? I think it was, oh man, I think a year into like my first full-time job. Uh, that was the first time I actually ended up in the ER. I woke up and I had severe like sweats and shakes. And I knew this wasn't a cold. I knew it wasn't sickness. I knew at that point I had been drinking like a lot and a lot to the sense like after work every day, during dinner every day. And it just kind of, as anyone, like you said, it's like a snowball climb, right? It yeah. starts slow and it starts escalating. And, and that's kind of how like, my personality is I have a very addictive personality and especially now you can tell like with the YouTube channel, I get, I nosedive in, I go knee deep and I go quick. So my, that's how my addiction was. And so I kind of felt like I was losing grip at that point when my first ER visit, but 
like alcohol, it still didn't affect me. I think I gave it up for like a week and I was back on the wagon again. Then I ended up in an ER maybe like six months later. Uh, they recommended me to go to a chemical dependency program here at Kaiser. I went and took like the consultation appointment and I was like, mm, I don't want to stop smoking weed. <laughs> I just want to quit drinking. And so that I didn't even take that into consideration. And and like four months later, I was back there mandated to go back. So eventually I ended up back there. <laughs> so so when you got up in the morning, feet hit the floor, you, you're making Bloody Marys or walk us through a little bit of what that's like. <laughs> so I was a very isolated drinker. Uh, my drinking, even though it was evident to everybody around me, I still thought I was super sly, Mr. Sly. So I drank, no. yeah, I drank in the closet a lot and I drank in the bathrooms a lot. So my drinking was like, I would just gulp down whatever I could <laughs> when it got to the bare point of it. But in the days that I could like where, where it was luxurious, uh, I was a, a vodka drinker for a while, but before that I was big into crown. So like, it was never really fancy. It got to the point where I just needed it. And it was just like, even if it was lukewarm hiding inside my jacket in the closet, I was still going to crack it open and drink it because I knew that it would give me that half an hour, an hour of calm, shakeless, I can somewhat function, right? Yeah. I never really had a fancy um, alcohol lifestyle or like want. I was just... No, yeah. Just I, you doing... know, I think, in that, and that's part of it. Like, I, I think people, one of the things that I think the listeners should should grab out of this is alcohol comes in different forms and flavors for everybody. Some people fill up the flask eight times a day and they sneak it when they, you know, inside their, their jacket, if you will. And they pull tugs that way all day. Some people make drinks and are, they're not hiding it at all. Like, but it all equals the same thing, which is alcoholism. And there's no pretty bow on it that makes it okay. And, and it usually ends up with people in the ER with issues with the shakes, passing out, puking and getting fired is it, it's, you know, that's how it goes. I love that. I love that crash and burn movie. You just directed in my mind, Anthony, it was like a, an airplane was just got shot down and crashed in the <laughs> guy just puked in his office and called him right out. But it's true though. I mean, it, it, it really does kind of follow a predictable progression like that. It, it's um, so, you know, you're, so I, I get it, man. I mean, you're, you're, you're slamming out of a pint in your jacket and so it works tough, right? They're starting to notice, I'm guessing at this point, or, or what's that like? What's, I know that you think you're hiding it. Um, everyone knows it. I had the same issue, right? I always figured I was smarter than everybody else, but I wasn't. I was a rampaging addict, um, and there was no fucking hiding at all. I mean, it, I, I would wear it would drip down my nose for Christ's sake, and I think I was hiding it. If I if I wipe my nose secretly, nobody would know that there's blood and cocaine dripping from it. Um, <laughs> kind of bullshit, you know. Yep. So, like at work. What, what did you think was going on? I mean, did you think things were normal? And if you just had one more drink and, you know, this next project would be fine kind of thing? I mean, how did that work for you? So truthfully, I don't know. I was kind of 50-50 with what was going on. Well, obviously, when I gained composure with my life and I really took back and kind of reassessed all that, I did question, like, who, who I wonder who knew. I wonder who thought they I had a problem. Or I wonder who just didn't really even care or wanted to know. Um, but it's funny because I still follow a lot of people that I still work with as colleagues still follow me on social media because of like the work I do, the creative work, you know, it's always, we work as freelancers for the, till the day we die. Right. So it it was, how can I explain this? It's kind of tough. Um, excuse me, hold on. Let me say, give me one second. Yeah, guys. 
Let me gain composure again. Can you just rephrase the question again? I'm sorry. Yeah. So like, what were some of the things that were going on in like your work or personal life that you started to lose control of, or when things started to get bad, but you didn't notice, like we all have that where relationships start to crumble and you justify it for something else besides the alcoholism. Like what? Sorry guys. I'm nerves are kicking in a little bit too. No worries, man. This is my first podcast. So um, you're doing great. I will continue from that statement. So like I thought I was being sly from most of my work people. Um, but as you guys saw my video, when I released a video, a lot of them actually reached out on Slack and they told me that they really didn't have an idea that, of what was going on. They just thought, you know, I was sick and I played a pretty good role. I was, I was very good at hiding what I was hiding. And I was told that by a lot of people. So I think it was just like my mom and the immediate family people that knew that I had a drinking problem. As far as coworkers, I think more. I didn't expect anybody to be like, hey, you know, oh, we thought something. But a lot of them were really like receptive of it and saying, you know, we're proud of you. We had no idea what you were battling. You could have said something. I was like, well, I don't think I would have said anything to you guys that, hey, I'm an alcoholic. But I appreciate right. that you guys are open to the fact that, you know, you're watching the video. You didn't really see anything but, are, you know, saying something like hey you you know good job we didn't really notice anything but i think some people did probably have an idea uh that something was going on so fortunately it was only that one job that had to see me go through like my addiction um because i was actually once i got fired from that job i went through the interview process with another job and i was supposed to start that job the week i got admitted into er in cherry hill so well, Cherry Hill, if you're not from here, is like a detox center that's very popular to the area where I live. Um, it's a very popular place for us alcoholics. <laughs> I don't know it, but, you know, we've all got one near me. It's called Linden Oaks. Bavesh, what's interesting to me is your story resonates and rings true for, you know, anyone that's struggled with alcoholism or still struggles with alcoholism has a very similar story to yours, to Tyson's, to mine, where you go along and it snowballs into very dark things and places and you make bad choices you miss work your relationships crumble you know and there you are i mean you ended up in the er with what was the blood alcohol content i'm curious again 0.44 yeah man that's that's a that is a grand fucking slam right there that's a big fucking that's that's big right you know i'm not trying to make light of it but that that's you are not you are not you. I'm saying as at that blood alcohol content, as a drinker, you are not fucking around. Like you are putting it down to get there. I mean, and, and yeah. you have to be almost a sustained alcoholic. And what I mean that. is uh, an amateur couldn't get there because they would pass the fuck out halfway there. Yeah. Um, you know, so I get, I feel where you, where you must have been emotionally and mentally. Um, it had to be scary, dude. And, and I'm proud of you for. Thank you getting through it you know i mean because that's the part i think that most addicts don't realize when you're in the middle of it right that um this shit is not fucking normal it isn't I, you know i had the same experience with my addictions and i still struggle to stay sober but yeah i mean what people don't realize is what most people wear is like a badge of honor i drink a case of beer or whatever it's not fucking cool man like and it, it it's destructive and just ruins that's that's one of the reasons why I don't like saying my blood alcohol level too, because people are like, damn, I'm like it's not a good thing. I 
can laugh about it now, but in the time that when I was told, you should have seen my parents and wife's face. They had no idea. The amount of times they had to ask, you sure it's not 0.04? I was like, I wouldn't be in that bed if it was 0.04. But it's just, people don't realize how much this stuff can like dismantle your life. It's, it, it destroys and you don't realize how fast it can destroy you too. And, um, that's, that's the thing about the addiction process people won't understand. That's why I drew into Alcoholics Anonymous very quickly. And it's yeah. been something that I hold dear to me every day. I mean, even till this day in quarantine, I'm still the guy hosting zoom meetings every day, secretarying stuff, you know, Guys are calling me after a year, you know, just for sobriety help. And it, it feels good. Like that's a, that's a good, that's the kind of feeling that I wanted to have. And then it was like, just the help. And I come from an Indian culture. So like our stigma for this kind of stuff is immense. So it was a hurdle for my parents too to go, go through all this stuff, especially my wife. We're not too versed with like addiction stuff. I knew I was heading down that path. So it, it's been Opening doors for a lot of people, including myself. So I'm happy that I'm able to tell the story as much as I can, only because I think people need to hear it. And that's just the nature of it. And I'm just trying to be as genuine and honest about it as I can. It wasn't a fun path to get to where I'm at today, but I'm super happy where I'm at today. So, Well, I love it, dude. And if I could ask you a question, just like, sure. what was, did you have a, a single breaking moment or like a one, like a single rock bottom. I didn't, I, I got dragged. I dragged myself across rock bottom for a long time. And did you have like one moment or a couple of moments before you said, fuck this, I, I need to get sober. Yeah. Well, no, it was that single moment. It was that ER visit, the, uh, the, the blood alcohol level day. So at that point I was to the people that were uh, around me on the hospital bed and my family, I was still lying. Doctor asked me, how many drinks did you have? I said, two. <laughs> Everyone says two. If you would have not answered that, I would have said, you said two. So, so he knew. So that's when the social worker got um, intervened in. So it was pretty much mandated that I go to a detox center straight from ER. So it was three in the morning. I got admitted into a detox center. It was a detox center that really slapped me in the face and said, what the hell am I doing with my life? And just being there for like the three, four days that I was, I knew when I get out of, when I got out of there, I knew, dude, this shit has to change. I don't know. The thing was for me, it was my biggest worry was job, 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 job. I can't lose my job. I can't lose my job. I can't not pay my bills. I can't not pay my bills. My student loan is out the wash. Like once I put all that shit aside and I was like, okay, I need to get my life squared straight first. If I can do that, then all that shit will play into fact once I get everything squared away. And so lo and behold, I took two months off, got my shit straight, and I landed a job within like, thank God, knock on wood, somebody up there in my higher power is working for me the right way. And I found a job and I've had that job now and I'm climbing a ladder at that job and I'm loving every aspect of it. So I'm very, very, very much, you know, in respect to AA, uh, the community that I built with my sponsor. My sponsor is like, a, he's like a crack addict on AA. You know, he comes from a crazy background. So I understand why he's so heavily involved in AA and I think yeah. I picked the right sponsor for a reason because I know I needed to be like that, but not to that extent. I needed that kind of verbal clarity from him. You know, he's always got insightful things to say. So the people in and, and shout out to the Breakfast Club 630 AM group that I go to a right here in Hayward. Yeah, I know it's early, but I like early because I usually start my day off early. So 
they've been super helpful. Great group of people, a little older, comes with a little more sobriety, uh, which I like. It comes with a lot of knowledge, a lot of sharing. So I'm forever grateful for that program and the people around them. So it's just opening up new doors and uh, doors like this. What what people don't realize when you're dealing with it in the dark side, when you're, you know, still rampage drinking or whatever it is, you think that that's your team. And then there's a little fear a lot of times to give it all up for the light um, because it's an unknown. And then when you do, I have yet to talk to someone that's on the, the, the sunshine side of this without the joy of being on that team is unbelievable. And it brings clarity of life that is hard to describe. And until you go through it and you have to fight the fight, you have to be born again into it almost. You can't, you can't fake it. You've got to hit rock bottom. You've got to get the shit kicked out. You've got to almost get fired. And all the bad shit's got to happen for you to get to, to have the strength to look yourself in the face and say you're being a fucking pussy. Now, you know, the, you know and, and to fight the fight in a good way, man. And, and right. we make it. The joy of the community that you're in now is so much better than the community that you were in as an alcoholic. And, and I can speak, that was the same for me. The, the joy in friendships and relationships and who I, and the relationship with myself now is so good. And I love every minute of it. And I can, I embrace every moment because I can, I'm not living around in a fog or chasing my drug dealer down to buy more cocaine. It's just wonderful. And I applaud you for your effort. I love that you shared your story. And I also think I'd love to hear, have the listeners hear a little bit about your your approach with YouTube, because I really thought that was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so YouTube has been something that I've always wanted to do. But I, both of you can probably vouch for me. When you're in alcoholism, your dreams and aspirations are up here, but your your ability to do things are like down here, right? So I've I had a lot of goals in my alcoholism, which are now actually starting to become reality so one of those was youtube i've always kind of been doing the video thing when i started art school we were taught how to do film and production like in the proper way like how actual production does in film in like hollywood so i gravitated towards you know vacationing and like filming our vacations you know when i met barky like nine years ago when we started vacationing i started gopoing our vacations and started documenting it it was then when I knew, like, I really liked video editing, but I know I didn't want to do that as a professional career. I just wanted to do it as something as a hobby. So yeah, eight years later, I create all sorts of personal videos for family, myself, uh, wedding videos, stuff like that. So finally now made the transition. Uh, when I first started getting sober, I told myself on my one year, I'm starting my YouTube channel. My first video is going to be my truth about alcohol and what I've been going through in the past year plus with recovery and then prior to dealing with alcoholism so that was gonna that was my you know idea and uh i made it happen on the day on my one year day I, I launched my youtube channel and that was my first video and my goal is to try to release a video a week relative to just like me as a person so the work that i do as a career uh, you know, this podcast stuff I've been, I'm filming right now. So I got two camera angles filming right now with the podcast too. So I, you know, just creating content and it keeps me busy. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is the isolation and finding new things. So the YouTube channel was, I knew it was going to be something that I was going to be passionate about doing. 
was going to keep me busy in a good way. And it was going to be creating content that I thought would be good to put out there, you know, regardless of who views it or not. It's just something that I want to put out there because I'm passionate about it. So I think uh, Tyson and I talked about this in, you know, in different sessions for, that he and I were doing. And one of the things that I think is what I love about the YouTube channel is you used what you love, um, you know, with your background. That's part of it. But the main thing for me that I thought was amazing is you put it all out there at the same time for everybody to consume the same message. And, and you, you kind of hung it out there. And I think that that's part of making the mentally and emotionally the adjustment towards sobriety is you have to have ownership of not only who you were as an alcoholic, but who you want to be as sober alcoholic. And that transition in the video is amazing to me because it's rare that you can actually capture it all in one time for everyone to consume the same way. It, it's really a very cool way to go about it because until you rip it off, you can always find a place to hide again. And you, you took that away from yourself, which I thought was amazing. So that I'm glad that you literally spoke it word for word for the definition for why my mom kept asking me. My, you know, my mom comes from a more you know traditional background. So a lot of this stuff, you know, it's like in the public eye, you know, people talk in Indian culture, the aunties love talking and stuff like that. So you literally described it word for word. I wanted to tell the story the same way, the same message so that everybody hears it this exact same way. With my recovery, not too many people knew in my family, just my sisters, my two brother-in-laws, my wife, my best friend, and my parents. Like I can literally count the number of people that I knew in my family. Uh, so that video was a video for everybody to see and more specifically for my family to see and to say like hey this is what's happening this is what was happening and this is how it's going to happen in the future kind of thing so you nailed it and your description i'm glad that you said it like that because that exactly conveys the message that i wanted to get out of the video so that's great i think it's interesting and and congratulations of course on the on the transformation i mean it's it's very daunting at the beginning and then you look back and oftentimes remember how could you I, I anyways look back at mine and i'm like wow how was i able to do that but i was listening to uh what you were saying and you were talking about the job anxiety i resonated with that too where you were you know you were saying you couldn't stop thinking about my job my job my bills my this and that you finally there was this big sort of landmark or this big mile marker on the journey where you finally sort of surrendered or, or let go and said well that's it i'm letting go of this idea that my job is the top of my hierarchy. And, and in a sense, in that moment, it sounds like you chose yourself for the first time in, a, in an official way. I was, I was wondering if you could maybe tell me what clicked in that moment. Because for me, it took kind of like Anthony said, you know, where he drug himself around on rock bottom. I, I've been to a few different rock bottoms. Um, and so what clicked in that moment that was different where you said, you know what, because it was the right decision. Obviously I was impressed with that. That was similar to what happened to me is when I finally chose myself and said, I have to go all in on getting myself aligned and healthy. Nothing else matters was when I was able to, to finally make the change. So I'm just interested. What, what made you like put it up top of the priority list finally? That's funny. Like the way you were describing it, 
so in AA, they often call it like what is your surrender moment, right? So for me, it wasn't really like a surrender moment. I, I had to, I was forced into surrender, which was like the detox program. So it was like this or you, you get the fuck out kind of thing. Right. So for me, it was like, I wanted I, like my aha moment is what I call it. So my aha moment was when I was in AA and I heard my sponsor speak for the first time. Uh, it was then that I knew that like, this isn't an alcohol problem. This is a Bosky problem. I mean, well, Bosky, excuse me, that's my nickname. So <laughs> I commonly refer to that. It's so easy for me to not use my real name. But that's when I knew it wasn't the alcohol problem. It was a me problem. So that's when my self-reflection started. I want to put that under the microscope because I feel like that right there, that even if it's a millisecond, you know, radical transformations happen in a single moment, really. Mm-hmm. And that's so fascinating to me is like, what did your sponsor say that made you connect and say, and take responsibility. Cause I mean, that's exactly the first step right there. Well, d- truthfully, it was the line that I said in my video, we're not bad people trying to get good. We're sick people trying to get better. Mm. That like, it hit me like a tank. I was like, and I've been trying to explain it to people in that way for so long. Like, dude, I don't have a problem. I'm just, I need help. Like, yes. and that was such a classy way to say it. And when he said that, it just hit me in the face. And that was my aha moment. Like, this isn't like, I have a problem. I'm not like, I'm not stupid. I'm just sick. Like, you know, like, and so that's when my mentality started changing. And that's when my like knowledge for alcoholism just really kind of skyrocketed. I started reading. The acceptance of that problem right there or saying, hey, it's a, it's a problem. Like there's a sickness, like you said, then what's I just popped into my head is it essentially lets us realize that there's probably a solution when you're lying about it or acting like it's not there. Like I did for years, it's impossible to ever approach it as like you said, a sickness and say, what's the, what's the prescription for this? You just let it drag down the road with. Yeah, it was a, it was interesting. I, I like, and that's when, like, I knew for me, it was like, I needed more of these aha moments in my life, especially in this recovery process, because I knew these quote unquote aha moments are going to be the ones that are going to be like pivotal to me realizing what's going on. And I knew they were going to stick with me in my brain. So that's when like a lot of my mental state started changing. I started doing a lot of more self-help stuff, you know, like headspace, calm meditation stuff. I started writing a lot more in the sense that it gave me the ability to start script writing for my YouTube channel. Um, It just kind of centering myself. I started reading a lot more like Brene Brown's. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She does a lot of empowerment and self-help stuff. So a lot of TED Talks on just like betterment and improvement of like mental state. So I focused on that a lot in that aha moment period. And then that's when it kind of started to grow on me that the more I started to learn about this stuff and the more I was vocal about it, the easier this process is going to be for me. And so. Am I right that what your aha moment truly was, if we stripped it down to its sort of minimum viable thing, is that it was to basically realize it was you the whole time. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's literally the title of a, a thing that was a huge breakthrough for me was I that I wrote in my journal and I wrote that in big bold letters at the top. It was you the whole time and it was this liberating <laughs> moment. The one line that I ever remember out of uh, a book, I can't remember the name of the book I read, but it's a, th- there was a part that he said, like, your finger needs to take a U-turn. 
<laughs> it's a very clever way of saying that. Yeah, it's it's the it, and for me especially, I only speak, he said it. The best way to think of it is to, is your finger needs to take a U turn. That's really good. So I like, love that. Me, it was constantly pointing at other people. Your fault. You said this. You're doing this. You. And so when I started to realize that if I take the you statements and take that damn word out of my sentences and start saying we or I, it starts lifting the conversations in a different manner. And so like that was a big thing. You, you, you. I hate that word. And I use it very often still. And I catch myself and I take a step back and I have to say, look, we, we made a promise. We're not going to say you statements anymore. It's either we or I. And there's no you. So that's, and, and once I started to take that like mentality and equation out of it, uh, communication started to open up like crazy. And that was when I started to notice like, maybe I was a fucking asshole for a really long time. And, so, and you know, things change. And like, that's why I keep saying, I love these aha moments and I'll still keep getting these aha moments. And and I love, though, that one, and I know that I'm just beating this to death, but the reason why is because I, I, for me, I reflect on this and was like so many things where I almost got it along the way and didn't make the transition to, cyber, to, to sobriety for so many years was because I didn't have that moment in time, right? It seems like, oh, wow, it clicked with you in that moment when your sponsor spoke. We all have those, but it's so interesting to me how close I got at many occasions and, and missed, right? And that how subtle the difference of the perspective that finally like cracked my shell or cracked your shell. And then what happens there when you've chosen or you basically, my, uh, a mentor of he said, the good news is everything's your fault. And as soon as you step into that, you're going to be very happy. And, and I was like, wow, the good news is everything is my fault. And I keep, and, and it's true though. And I mean, maybe you don't want to use the word fault or you do, if it sounds like a negative connotation for me, it kind of helps because I like prepare for all the worst and the best and everything I go, it's all my fault. Let's take analysis of it. And, uh, but it's so fascinating to me that that's the shift, at least that I find in a commonality of everyone is when they finally do, like you said, get rid of the U or take the, the U-turn with the, the, the finger and that that was it like turning the telescope around literally is this like solve because now what happens instead of you like when you have free time etc pouring a bunch of alcohol into your system which is a terrible thing to do to something you're investing in right you you basically click with my biggest investment is myself and so right. then you can't you can't treat it like that i was thinking of that the other day. i was like trying to treat myself as if I were like my, you know, my son or, or my, you know, my, my, I don't even have a son, but just imagine that, you know, my, you know, my, my wife or my, you know, someone you cared about, you would have never do the things to that being that you used to do to yourself. And so just by having that, aha moment, you go, wait a minute, all I have to do is invest in myself, treat myself well and realize everything's my fault. And it's pretty easy. You had to continuously feed the good side of you in the sunlight and improve yourself and, and do things to feed the good side of you instead of feeding the bad side of you. And that's part of it. I mean, you've got to be committed to being happy, committed to being sober, committed to the sunshine. And when you do that with, I think with Tyson's point, with the transition for your why, that moment when you surrendered or the aha moment, and you make that transition, then it truly becomes, it, it, this is going to sound bad, but for addicts, I can use my addiction 
to the positive, not the negative. Instead of chasing it, being addicted to alcohol and cocaine, I'm addicted to being better every day. And that's my new addiction. Um, yeah. So it's the same addiction. I'm just pointing it at something else. And it's wonderful. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. That's a, and that's that's a great thing about an addictive personality. Now we could be addicted to positive that's right. instead of negative things. Would you it. say, like, I think, Anthony, what you just said there, too, about the addiction toward a positive process, what's interesting is, like, really the only difference is that now, you know, when you're sober, it's like you're conscious of that whole sort of process you're addicted to. But when you're when you're addicted, obviously, because of the, the dulling effects of the substance, you literally have all these blind spots, like you were talking about, Bavesh, where it's like, maybe I was an asshole. Like, I don't know, <laughs> like, you have all these blind spots just because of the... I guess you're just not aware of so many moments yep. in the day. But but it brings me to a good point, and I'll tell a quick story here. Like those blind spots. I'm glad that I have my wife who knows now about my alcoholism, so I'll tell a story. Last December, we went to um, Vegas together. Uh, it was like a spur-of-the-moment kind of um, vacation. This would be the first time we went to Vegas together. That wasn't like a hibachi trip or anything. My Vegas experiences are mostly bachelor parties and guys trips. So it was interesting for me, but I I got through Vegas. No, no worries about drinking, no nothing like that. We even separated to gamble at certain times. And I thought I was going to be a lot worse off than I was, but I was in a good spot. But the best thing about it is, is you got to get somebody that does this. As I was finished gambling, I ended up walking to the bar to get a pineapple juice. And so my sponsor said, drink a lot of pineapple juice. It'll help. And for some reason... It did help. And I went up to the bar, got a pineapple juice, ended up walking away. And I ended up like finishing it fairly fast. I was thirsty. I walked away and went to go gamble. My wife ended up going to the bartender goes, what did he get to drink? And she sniffed the drink. And then she came up to me and she tapped me on the shoulder. She goes, good job, hon. And so it's simple things like that, that I know if I get chin checked and if somebody comes and wants to check me, I don't have to worry about anything. I don't need to lie. I don't need to deceive. I don't need to come get all nervous and sweaty and figure out an excuse. I can just be me and be like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> and that's a great part of it. Like, I feel like I'm loose of all worries. Thank you for listening to the Dismantled Life Podcast, Episode 3. Please join us next Friday, July 10th at midnight for bonus Episode 2, Boxing with a Broken Finger. Subscribe anywhere you find your podcasts. And if you'd be so kind, please leave an honest rating and review. Stay in the sunshine. Talk to you next Friday.